This is Amin Drew Law, a.k.a. Amin TMK, producer uh, and host of Exit the Matrix podcast. I am here with Emoja the Mo Man Sumler. Do you want to say anything to the people? I am Emoja the Mo Man Sumler. Uh, and also, Keita Marshall. Anything you want to say, Keita Marshall? Hello, good peoples. All right. Well, you know, lots of things in the news. Um, do do we want to jump in to enter the matrix? Y'all want to go straight to I work? I mean, it's the penultimate episode for the season, so I feel like we got to hit them. Okay, we got to hit them. So let us enter the matrix. It's nothing personal for me. It's just business. The streets of Baltimore, on the streets of Detroit, during the, the 60s in New York City. Immediately within it, you are going to get those people whose differences are not being articulated, which is right us. So, expecting any backlash? Oh, I'm already getting it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Enter the Matrix, uh, where we break the latest national and international news through a leftist perspective for updates follow us on instagram facebook and twitter at matrix podcast uh let's jump in right here is this maybe possibly some positive news uh in los angeles district attorney george is this Gascon, Gascon. I see an accent mark. It's gonna go. Yeah, Gascon. Gascon. Yeah. I, how? I, wasn't he in Beauty and the Beast? I can't remember. Anyway. That's what I thought. <laughs> it's rhetorical. Uh, okay, so so you know, I guess this is uh, there. Yeah, man. Does Beauty and the Beast count? No, I'm not even gonna go. You're not. <laughs> okay, I'm in. I'm intrigued. I'm is it really no? Should you? We can jump in. It's our penultimate episode, right? Does Beauty and the Beast count as bestiality? Oh, and we're done. Okay. I do not know wow. how you live with your. You, know, you see why Gaston was like, nigga, really? You gonna choose the lion bear, nigga? I mean, like, I got. I'm a toxic masculine, but. I'm still human. What the fuck? Yeah, you know, Disney plays fast and loose with that, don't they? Oh, I was going to say. Because, I mean, like, is it your furry fantasy or your bestiality <laughs> yeah, the, fantasy right, when you're the watching fu- The Lion King? I'll be with you, So the state attorney general. <laughs> I am riddled with shame. Such shame. Uh, yeah, so the new state attorney general here in uh, Los Angeles uh, has uh, announced that sweeping changes to the criminal justice got rid of system. cash bail man fuck yes Same yeah the death penalty mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh a use of force review board so all of these excessive fatal use of force cases uh they're gonna be investigated going back to 2012 i think this is an important distinction right i recently had this uh conversation on a aoc thread don't tell me why. Don't, don't ask it's me It's okay. We all go down those threads. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you see all of these Democrats that uh, position policy-wise are anti-death penalty, but then don't have anything to say about law enforcement that has the ability to use lethal force. You're not against the death penalty if you are still here to justify law enforcement with, with, with rules for lethal engagements that are less severe than a United States soldier. This reminds me of... Uh, Marilyn Mosby. Remember Marilyn Mosby? We used to always talk about Absolutely. state Word. district attorney uh, in Baltimore. This is the kind of shit we always wanted to see Kamala do. And Kamala never did. And, and is never going to. I think this does kind of look bad on her now because she was in California, she right? Was, she had this job. This was her so job. So this is the person taking over for her job. Is that correct? He's not a direct successor. There's been other people between her and him. But she had yeah. this job but, before. Yeah, she did. And his direct pre- predecessor is Jackie Lacey, who um, she was a, a very punitive district attorney. She believed in arresting and extending sentences for everybody. Well, I won't say everybody because, you know, it's primarily happening to men of color in L.A. And poor people. So, again, predominantly people of color and black people. This is what it means when you see tough on crime Democrats. Like we were talking about with Kamala to say, like, it's not that she couldn't do these things. It's not that, well, she had to send trans women to men's prisons. Well, she had to keep cash bail going. No, you see, with a stroke of a pen, these things have changed. And this is a person that wanted to put he, her in her bio, but still sends 
trans women to men's jails. Sure. And he's looking backwards, which is nice because, you know, he's like, okay, the reality is the death penalty does not make us safer. It is racist. It's morally untenable. He said that. That's a direct quote from him. And he says the death penalty isn't just off the table going forward. He's committed to resentencing everybody on death row to life in prison. I uh, know I believe we should abolish prisons, but I'm glad he's like saying I'm making these changes and I'm making sure we work backwards. So if there are prisoners or people who are getting uh, convicted in the past or who have been convicted in the past, let's review their sentences to make sure that my changes apply to them so that it's like retroactive. Yeah. Now, I want to go on record as saying I am one of the leftists that is not. Uh, I am not anti-death penalty. I'm anti-death penalty as exercised by the United States of America. Because as we stand, right, one of the tenets of American judicial uh, uh, jurisprudence is innocent until proven guilty. But the reality is, in this culture, if you are accused, if you are indicted, the culture sees you as guilty. In fact, we could go so far as to saying accused equals guilty. And this is a great thing, not a great thing, but this is a big thing that came to the culture, especially with the advent of third wave feminism. Accused is guilty, right? And so like there is no, there is no ability to go out there and be, and so like if you're convicted, you're absolutely assumed in the eyes of this culture to be guilty but the reality is lots of people that are found guilty reality is you're just poor you don't have the money to mount a proper legal defense and think about how many people that are dead ass guilty they just got bomb ass lawyers that are never going to see a day of jail i think 45 and 46 are great examples of that yeah, by no means does this fix all of the problems that's systemic in L.A. and California, but I think it's a, a start. When we talk about, okay, if, if black lives matter to you, if people of color matter to you, if you're aware of systemic racism and all of the ways um, it's been institutionalized, then what are the steps that you can take to, to remedy the situation? And it's nice to see that, that Gascon is like, okay, yeah, I saw a bunch of fucked up shit. We're still experiencing fucked up shit. Here's my efforts toward this. So we're talking about people who are, you know, committing, you know, petty crimes, people who are uh, drug entrepreneurs, people who are unfortunately, you know, like like the nonviolent drug offenders, just people in jail in general, people being this carceral system that is, uh, completely slanted is classist and classist and it is racist we see some people that should be locked up uh that are not locked up um let's let's are y'all ready to move on to this next thing can i can i do that oh, yeah absolutely because yeah. this ties in too you're talking about attorney generals <laughs> yeah so much so much good 48 attorney generals uh sue facebook alleging illegal power grabs to neutralize rivals the federal trade commission now that seems that feels big to me, right? Like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, look at what the remedies are gonna be, right? Like, I mean, look, is Facebook a monopoly? Absolutely. And and all of their oversight, all of their overreach, we've known since Snowden. Like Snowden was like what four fucking years ago. If y'all knew what Facebook was, nobody would use it. Forty-eight attorney generals, the Federal Trade Commission, they they filed a lawsuit against Facebook this past Wednesday accusing the social media giant of gobbling up competitive threats in a way that has entrenched its popular app so deeply into the liveliness of billions of people that rivals can no longer put up a fight. Uh, for nearly a decade, Facebook has used its dominance and monopoly power to crush smaller rivals and snuff out competition at the expense of everyday users. Um, I feel like Mark Zuckerberg has been in front of Congress in some capacity a bunch of times. Oh, totally. oh, it feels so performative, you know? It feels every time they get up there and they're like, well, Facebook is really bad. It's 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 giving, you're collecting people's data. So say that Facebook is found guilty. That doesn't erase the damage they've already caused to the way that we function, the way people address their own digital privacy, and the fact that they've eradicated all of their competition. So so what? Like, uh, you can break them up, but that doesn't erase the fact that they pushed out so many of their competitors. A small business on Amazon. Facebook's probably gonna just buy them up again anyway. Just wait 10 years like AT&T did. Corruption is our protection. Yeah, and it feels disingenuous because, especially when it comes from like, 
when they're sitting in front of the, the, the congressman because they want to have your data. They're interested in they're all gonna these. They're going to get the data. It doesn't matter because, again, if Facebook. So they want the data, but they don't really want Facebook to have the data. They have the data, but also Facebook has the data. Uh, Google has the data, right? And, and think, Amazon has the data. Right. Who was the biggest competitor? And they died badly. What was that? That shit, Google Circles? Remember that shit? Oh, yeah. A couple yeah. fucking years ago? Yeah, that was horrible. That, yeah, but again, it's hard to it's hard to get in. Also, because they bought Instagram, they bought I don't know if y'all they use WhatsApp. Well, yeah, I don't know if y'all use WhatsApp, but you know, I, that's how I basically communicate with seventy five percent of all of my family members outside of the United States. Yeah, you know, so you're getting all that information plus all the Instagram plus of all of Facebook. I, you know, that's just a lot of your data that's Plus, out there. Facebook also did plugins for everything. They were like, well, why do you want to create a separate username and password? Just log in using your Facebook account. And at, when Facebook first started, that was like, yeah, it makes me logging in a lot easier. And then I can get access. And Facebook directly got access to all of that. All of the browser plugins where you're like, do you want to make sure that you can like directly from your web page? That was Facebook gathering data that they didn't share with those web pages or those other apps and i don't believe they should but like i think the scope of what facebook did in in gathering your data and putting all of these cookies and trails and breadcrumbs throughout your browser history and then once they got access to your phone through the apps it was over they knew like everything you lose good day sir and so what will happen right like even if they're found guilty i, I think about the microsoft case in the 90s as seminal for antitrust because that proved right there you could literally put your dick on the table to the united states government if you had enough money and nothing was going to happen they were found guilty for years and just appealed the federal government to fucking death microsoft didn't get broken up and like we've said it before to when you have wealth a fine means legal to the rich so even if facebook is fined a million dollars a day to a billion dollar industry what the fuck does that mean I was going to say, because even on, on shit like, um, because uh, it sounds like a tangent, but it isn't, I promise, is that uh, New York's metro system. There's a tangent alert. <laughs> I know. Tangent, tangent alert. alert. New York's metro system is not accessible. I feel like they get sued uh, based on the accessibility, uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act all the time. And they're just like, it's cheaper for us to just pay the American Disabilities Act fine into perpetuity rather than make our metro system accessible. And this is the same thing here. Facebook will pay the fine into perpetuity or keep countersuing, um, I guess not countersuing, but appealing the ruling uh, forever. But I feel like even if they don't, AT&T is another example of it. AT&T was broken up and now here they are and they own, they, they essentially are bigger than they were when they were broken up years ago. Yeah, people don't even remember. So that was actually, can you imagine? That was Reagan's fucking America. A Republican president sued Ma Bell, won, broke AT&T up, and they literally came back 90 times bigger than they were in the 90s, yeah. uh, the 80s. And that it just shows like how much America has moved to the right because, like you said, I mean, these... these uh, and it says here, Facebook says it faces plenty of competition from other social media companies like Snapchat and TikTok. I think of how big social media is to everybody, not, I won't say everybody on the planet, but the majority of the planet. Like almost everybody I know has either a Facebook, an Instagram, a Twitter, or, you know, I guess maybe a TikTok. And because that market is so huge, you can't just point out to one, and Snapchat has no right. way even oh, close they, I to mean, as like, big. Think about Tumblr, right? What is Tumblr compared to fucking Facebook? And, and it's so funny because it's like, essentially it's a, a caveat. Facebook hasn't bought it yet. But didn't they try to? I And I feel like, because the whole thing was with TikTok. Oh, well, it's the Chinese. They're taking our data. Essentially, yeah. TikTok was getting, facing, having to face all of the private, which, funny enough, we're going to blame China. What a dog whistle. And it's like, well, Facebook's taking away more of everybody's data worldwide than TikTok possibly could. But that's okay for American companies, especially American companies that are sharing that data with the American government. But the moment them TikTok users embarrassed 45, we knew it was a countdown of these motherfuckers being broke the fuck up. All right, so let's move on. Um, it 
we are facing uh, this pandemic, right? I believe it's one in 1,000 people have died from coronavirus this year here in Merca. Uh, it is raging throughout the world. And because of that, we would like to shelter at home. We'd like to stay in our houses. Um, but it's difficult to do that because you still got to go out there in capitalism and work for the man. Extreme poverty. Like there, there's a bunch of different things that are happening right now. But uh, in the UK, students are planning uh, the largest rent strike in 40 years. Student activists are preparing the biggest wave of university rent strikes in four decades amid growing frustration at heavy-handed hall lockdowns, the prospect of paying for empty rooms, and little face-to-face -face teaching when they eventually return in the new year. Uh, there are at least 20 rent strikes currently underway or being organized on campuses with activists at both Oxford, Oxford and Sussex universities. This week, uh, signing up hundreds of students ahead of the new term. Other institutions that are preparing action include Goldsmiths, University of London, and Edinburgh and Cambridge universities. These seem like very prestigious, very, you know, uh, uh, well-off, high-class people go to these universities, and they're striking because they don't have the money. Well, no, nah, it's about privilege, man. You can't be having fucking George R.R. R. fucking Tolkien's kid catching COVID and dying. George R.R. R. Tolkien. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I liked it, though. Yeah, I like, yeah, I like, yeah. uh, you should have kept it. J.R.R., whatever. No, it's fine. J.R. Smith. It's all good. J.R. Smith. Um, but it's also, because, uh, you know, U U.S. students had to face the same thing, right? Right? They're like, well, we can't go back to campus. We stayed at our homes. And yet we're still having to pay the high cost of going to university. We're having to pay for rooms and dormitories that we're not using because it's just taken out of our bill for college. We're having to pay for... Um... They must have forgot to take that one out, huh? Right. <laughs> I'm like, wait, why does... Why does my tuition still cost $15,000? Yeah. I mean, yeah. and it varies Why does my gym still charge me? You yeah, know? <laughs> why am I still paying for the student center? And it, it really is the insidious nature of, of capitalism, right? Because, yeah, like you said, what should be happening is everybody should be being paid to stay home while we ride out this pandemic. But in reality, the fact is, you know, the whole thing is, fuck it, man, work. We'll just figure out a vaccine. But you motherfuckers work. That's the most important shit. You dying, eh, whatever. But the economy, that's forever. Yeah, and in the UK, they're like, these colleges are rich. They have the means to make rent cuts, to help these students save, and to not lay off staff, because that's always a threat, right? Like, well, if we give you the benefit of not paying rent, then we have to lay off our staff. Do you want someone to get fired? And it's like, that's that's a fallacious threat. You're but the whole time, their presidents, like these presidents of these universities make upwards of millions of dollars. I, I I don't know what the the president of of Oxford makes, but I'm sure it's it's pretty substantial. I'm sure that could come down a little bit. But we're seeing pay. First of all, I think that this is important to say about universities, especially in 2020 in this near end stage capitalist life that we're going through. Is they're not really places where people go to get education. They're hedge funds. Not at all. They, yeah, no, they're absolutely. literally hedge funds that get their money uh, subsidized by the government and the students that go there. And they got all kinds of uh, investments. In, and I remember there was one, uh, I believe it was Yale, where they were protesting because funds or one of the things that they were investing in was prison system. And then I know the Detroit Pistons with the basketball situation. I know it's not really apples to apples, but the fact that I'm subsidizing these things so I can get a piece of paper that says I'm smart from this university is really a great microcosm of capitalism. But that that's not really what college is, man. The reality is as a person with an advanced degree, what college in America is really about is making the connections that are going to move your career forward. Not necessarily the education but meeting the people like think about like going to going to Yale right if you're rich you go there because it's your it's your rite of passage but if you're smart it's your job to meet uh, uh, W so that you can serve him when he becomes the president and you will have met this powerful person and it's your job to make him look better because that's what your smart ass is meant to do it's also a way to skirt um Skirt. Yeah. Skirt, the anti uh, 
anti-employment discrimination because of course it's you know because they always move the finish line right um where they're like well we can't we can't say anymore that we can't hire black people or latin a people or asian people so we're gonna require that you have a college degree knowing that the only people who can afford a college degree um back then were white people and then of course they they keep elev- escalating because they're like well crap you most of you now we have to not discriminate against you and actually let you into our colleges so hey we're going to require a master's degree and then a phd and it just keeps escalating and of course then like emoja says the universities and colleges that actually help you get a job are closed off you're not going to be able to get into freaking yale or harvard um without any of the pre-existing connections i mean they even did a study where it was like yeah they're legacy families that go to these colleges you're not getting in here you can apply all you want they're going to pretend that it's a transparent application system but these are lies which again right i mean does does anybody here does anybody listening to this believe that fucking g uh, fucking george w bush had a 4.0 and got a 1600 on a fucking SAT? No way, right? And we we take that inner knowledge and we just push it to a whole nother part. Like, oh, only really smart people go to Yale or Harvard. No, motherfucker, really rich people go there. It's college is so gross. Gross! I remember when they had the CARES Act first dropped and there was the small business the small business loan and the cares act and then it came out that harvard had gotten a small business loan oh these my god the small business on amazon gross and run by the worst kind i mean they're hedge fund managers a president of a university is and, a head fund manager wow these are universities with what is it called it's not a dowry it's a, it's a special word no, and, to endowment. say found, endowment. endowment thank you yep. i keep thinking dowry like it's getting married yeah. um, but an endowment you need, i need my 40 goats baby in the millions and billions of dollars and why are they saying they're pressed for money during these times the capitalism is so disgusting speaking of disgusting capitalism the wow everything's president, linking together huh the motherfucking president and his all of his noble fans and friends got together and had a they had, little little wasn't known they had this whole time a strategy for COVID. A, a top Trump appointee repeatedly urged top health officials to adopt a herd immunity approach to COVID-19 to allow millions of Americans to be infected by the virus, uh, according to inter- internal emails obtained by a house watchdog and shared with Politico. So the herd immunity. Let's Straight just up get- said we are missing our greatest tool. Our greatest tool is the kids will get better. So let's get them infected with fucking COVID. I mean, th- how can the United States ever reasonably talk about human rights violations to any other country when your your whole COVID strategy is fuck it, man. Kids are strong. I, well, I got to because remember. When you were younger and everybody caught, or parents were really like, your kids got chicken pox. I'm going to send my kid over there so chicken they can pox get chicken party. pox. Yeah, honestly, right? Super and that's gross. it's so gross because it's like, why are you going to put your kids through that? And, and there's, but this is the same thing because I mean, the quote is, it's it may be that it will be best if we open up and flood the zone and let the kids and young folk get infected in order to get a quote unquote natural immunity, like. Are, the, are these teachers young? <laughs> are these teachers young? Do these teachers have the immunity and, and the fucking immune, uh, immune, uh, immune systems of these children? Fuck no. So it's like, okay, so what about the teachers? Ah, eh, fuck them. This is systemic ableism to like the nth degree. Like, oh, well, young people might not die from it. And it's like, did you die though? The government edition. Yeah, did you die? <laughs> you know what this really makes me think of? Because, and it's something I've been, I've been thinking about and now reading this article and bringing it up. I'm going to just flip it a little bit and hopefully we can bring it back. Is they always say these things like, though most of the people that are dying from COVID are over 65. You know, these, these, are the, these type of people die all the time. Uh, you know, during the year, it's not like a big change or a big shift. And it's like, these people are so terrible. Like, because I'm thinking, remember we were having a conversation of like the elders and like how you're supposed to treat elders. This Western society, America, the way they treat 
the our older community, our elders, is so terrible that their lives don't matter. These people who are, see, if you're 65, you can still have 30 years left. If you're 85, I mean, what? how much would you give to have another four or five years? Exactly. And it's so bizarro because, of course, these were all of the arguments against this is why we can't have universal health care because then we'll just kill old people. And it's like, okay, well, here's an administration who decided that killing old, like the elderly, but also putting young people at risk was worth it. That as we watched all of these COVID numbers and number of cases, and the number of deaths and infections continue to rise. They were like, worth it. We'll get herd immunity. And not even recognizing like, yeah, the chicken pox scenario. We don't understand how viruses affect the human body long term. And, and that's a great point, right? I remember in 2008, Newt Gingrich was talking about, well, Obamacare has death death list. You know, it's the death panel. You know, and like literally this was the president and his people deciding who could die and if they don't die. You know, it's like there is something between death and, and, and life, and that is called status of fucking living, quality of living. Okay, you didn't die, but now your, your lung capacity is 30% diminished for the rest of your life. You'll have pulmonary fucking issues for the rest of your fucking life. And you can't help but see this as part of the white supremacist idea uh, behind eugenics, right? Because mm. it's like, okay, there mm-hmm. are some people just have to die. And those are the people, those are the undesirables that we don't want anymore. Um, and how it continues to infuse American institutions. Uh, because it's it's just flabbergast me, too. Because it's like, yeah, it's worth it for young people and the old, everybody in between to catch COVID. And then, of course, when you look at the numbers and you see that it affects primarily elderly, primarily people of color, um, primarily people with, you know, compromised immune systems or chronic issues. And it's like, yeah, it's worth it. Those people can die. We don't care. How freaking callous and evil and horrendous yeah and think about at the beginning of the pandemic too right all of the propaganda that was flooding everywhere coming from everywhere all black people can't even get covid because those are the fucking worker those are the fucking drones in america and we need y'all to think that you're completely safe so that you'll continue to go out and do your menial fucking jobs that we need to make america work like and it's hard to see that as like a one-off and it's hard to see that, too, because, of course, they always knew they were going to make a profit off of the vaccination. So it's like, well, the more people who get it, the more people will rush to buy these to go to get these vaccinations and buy them, um, which, again, makes capitalism the most horrible structure in, in the human race. Yeah, I mean, right now, the, the G20 are blocking the global south from being able to make knockoff virus, uh, uh, immunization because they're like, nah, nah, this is for the, like, if you don't got no money, you motherfuckers just got to die from COVID. Yeah, so just, so wealthy countries block COVID-19 drugs rights waiver at WTO. So wealthy nations on Friday reiterated their opposition to a proposal to waive intellectual property rules for COVID-19 drugs despite pressure to make uh, ex- despite pressure to make an exception to improve access to drugs for poor countries. Um, capitalism is a death cult, right? I yes, mean, that's absolutely. the whole there, point here. Uh, well, you just gave the numbers on the COVID-19 and they're saying, nope, we're not going to let you guys make a generic version of our vaccine. And think about this, right? Because this isn't some fucking brilliant fucking uh, research and development that happened from Big Pharma. This shit was government grants all around the world. Governments kicked in billions of dollars to the Big Pharma so that they could develop some shit. And now you're like, yeah, but we don't sell this shit for profit. Extreme poverty. Yeah, it's absurd. I feel like it's the internet. How do we, the people, pay to get these things done? Um, and they come up with something, and then they're like, yeah, but we have to make back our profit because we have an obligation to our stakeholders and not to the billions of people worldwide who've caught this virus. No, it's exactly like the internet. I mean, most Americans don't even remember that DARPA, which is a subset of the United States military, invented the fuck internet they so we already paid for it with our tax dollars and then now you know verizon charges you to get on the internet comcast charges you get on the internet but americans already paid for this shit because we paid our taxes to make darpa and there's precedent here because the people who are trying to support this waiver are saying the international uh, the ip rules create barriers on the access to affordable medicines and vaccines and they want restrictions to be eased. Right, right, right. So the, the precedent here is 
during the AIDS epidemic, this waiver was allowed through. And now this seems that seems like a great precedent that you can move forward. And first of all, it's ridiculous that we have these like capitalism restrictions on medicine, but AKA that's big pharma. Right. That's what they do. And even if you're the Sackler family or you're, you know, the Purdue company, even when your 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 pharmaceuticals destroy and kill people and you get sued and you lose the 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 the, the, the lawsuit you still are trying not to pay. So it's like, well, we want to capitalize all of this, but even if there's something wrong with the vaccine or something wrong with our medication, we don't want to be sued for it. And that's the insidious nature of capitalism, especially America and just like the Western society that literally hundreds of thousands of people are dying nationally. Millions of people are dying internationally. And we have to say, well, you have to go through all these processes the way that we do. And you cannot create a knockoff drug. That is that is really insidious. It's even more insidious when you consider that when you look at the rollout of the vaccine, these poor countries might not get it until 2022, possibly 2023. So we're also saying, yeah, for two years, you're just going to have to figure it out. And again, you know, 9-11 is held as a national fucking tragedy and it's something we're never supposed to forget. But the reality is every day in America right now, more people are dying daily of COVID than died in 9-11. And we went and destroyed the Middle East just for that amount of number. Why are we not willing to destroy Big Pharma? Like, I mean, even even as far as like like and that's that's really what what medicare for all represents right like that's an attack we deserve the right to profit over death Woo! yeah hey great job everybody looks like we covered <laughs> some stuff <laughs> we, saw we caught the penultimate episode uh, dropping a gem the matrix is in it son let's uh work it man where you want you telling me heart of the city let's do it From DC, we would like to present Heart of the City, where we discuss politics and social trends from all over the great DMV. Uh, some have said that all politics are local, but we say all movements are grassroots. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matrix Podcast. And yeah, you know, I've been wanting to, you know, kind of touch on this at some point. And, you know, this kind of came onto my attention that, you know, of course, we, we really can't escape Rona right now. We can't because it's literally destroying so many lives. And, you know, when we talk about how difficult it is just for p workers, you know, to go in every day and like be exposed to uh, other people and people who could potentially have this virus, um, people who are incarcerated in this country right now. The COVID rates are through the roof. And this is something specifically um, here in Maryland. COVID-19 infections on the rise in Maryland's prison staff members and incarcerated individuals are beginning to see spikes in COVID infections in Maryland prisons, echoing upward trends in other areas of the state. Uh, this organization, Maryland Matters, compiled a database of confirmed COVID-19 infections among inmates and department staff at the Department of Public Safety and Correctional Services. And they found that 1,349 inmates and 1,003 staff members had been infected since the pandemic started. Um, we're seeing, I believe in Texas, 80% of the uh, people who caught uh, the coronavirus uh, had not even been convicted. They were literally uh, waiting because they couldn't get, you know, of course, cash bail. Uh, still, uh, you know, coming out in California, still alive and well in Texas. What are people incarcerated supposed to do with this coronavirus just running rampant? And it's really impossible to kind of distance yourself and socially distance from so people. So again, accused is a death sentence. Like you haven't even necessarily been convicted of a crime. You've wow, just way been, to bring it around. That's a right? fact. You've just been arrested and you're waiting your attempt to talk to a magistrate a judge or a jury but in that meantime you've contracted covid and could possibly die and when we talk about you know bringing it back to eugenics and the fact that who's or inordinately 
uh, having to be put in jail and, and then getting convicted and being put in prison. It's people of color. Uh, and the argument, and I mean, the United States has like the largest incarcerated population in the world it's with like more than too. 2 million people behind bars in the U.S. Um, and, and when you kind of think about it, where it's it's like, yeah, exactly what Emo just said, where, hey, it's fine if these people die because these are the undesirables. We don't give a shit about them, even though the prison industrial complex are, is arguing in front of Congress saying, no, guys, you're misrepresenting. We responded really well to COVID-19. And it's like, these are lies. Don't lie to us. They're straight up lies. I, just, I remember uh, when you when you, uh, you came th- through the other day and I was watching the Al Jazeera thing and it was a dude going in on the Chinese government about how all the Uyghurs have been, you know, arrested and put in these internment camps and it's like okay bro but what about the black people in america bro like you can easily go in on china about what how they treat the uyghurs when if you're like such a badass if you're such a fucking edgy journalist i'm your huckleberry how come you have nothing to say about how black people are interned in the united states in this fucking internment system yeah exactly and especially with how virulent covid19 is the moment it hits a prison population and we already had overcrowding with prisons we already had poor living conditions anyway and and i mean i guess like because this has happened before right when the united states faces a natural disaster people always think about prisoners last and then we look up and it's like oh all those people died in prisons because nobody could get them out of a flood zone nobody could get them out of a hurricane out of the way of a hurricane like the guards all left these people there and of course they are literally locked up so these people are are facing horrible conditions they're starving and they get abandoned constantly and COVID-19 is another example of how terribly we treat prisoners when we should be treating them like human beings that have rights. And not, and they have to, you know, you're already in isolation when you're locked up. I know how, it's, how it feels to sit in that box. Human connection is already difficult enough. Uh, one of my homies who I do uh, video chats with, uh, basically video chats are not uh, available right now. Um, and you know, you have to spend a lot of money to talk to somebody on the phone when they're locked up. You know, you could spend up to like twenty, thirty dollars just rapping on the phone with somebody for ten minutes. And it's just like, again, this is really dehumanizing behavior. This is really, you know, these are war crimes straight up. The judicial system is just really disgusting. And they always talk about, well, we need to utilize testing. We need to utilize testing. We need to utilize testing. At what point are we just like, we need to let people out of uh, 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 prison and we need to like really redefine this like carceral system as it, it exists today because it's just not serving people. Not thinking about these things in, in the ways that you think about a corporation, right? If you walk into Walmart and you get COVID, right? Or how about you walk into Walmart and you slip and you break your leg? That corporation has liability. I can't say you'll have COVID liability because we see how much. I was going to say, actually, all the corporations slid by and said, hey, we're going to make our workers come to work, but they can't sue us if they catch COVID. So clearly that's out the door. But now we have these for-profit prisons. What is the fucking liability? Like, let's say, let's say I, I took $20 from a till. Okay, and I was convicted of petty theft. Okay, I did that. The punishment for petty theft is not death by fucking COVID. What is the liability for these for-profit corporations that are taking lives? I believe there should be liability, but I know that these for-profit corporations have said we are not liable because they're already in front of Congress saying the way we've addressed COVID-19 outbreaks has been mischaracterized. We did our best. And I'm like, you guys didn't do your best. You keep, I, I, Just the very nature of, of the fact that we have for-profit prisons. I mean, there was just so much as like uh, escalating wrongness about this that first of all, we states conceded that they were going to privatize prisons. And then these privatized prisons said, you are mandated to have so many people in our prisons. Otherwise, you have to pay us a fine. Absurd. And then on top of that, states were like, yeah, bet. We got you, though. We're going to make sure these prison beds stay full. In fact, we're going to overfill them to make sure we don't have to pay this fine to you. And then when a pandemic or a natural disaster hits, uh, we're facing like all of these prisoners get freaking murdered. I believe it's murder. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, absolutely, right? And that's to say nothing of the other terrible ways that humans are abused in prisons. But, uh, you know, and it, it gave rise to the law and order politician, the law and order Republican, the, the tough on crime Democrat, which brings us to our favorite mayor. Uh, that would be our least favorite mayor. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, Mario Bowser. Black Lives Matter is critical of me. She's tough on crime, bro. I mean, you can see every time Black Lives Matter is out there, we got cops yeah, out there looking everywhere. like they're in Afghanistan. Black Lives Matter is critical of me. And you know, she keeps putting up the murals, so that's how you know she really cares. And and when uh, when you know when all of the Proud Boys came through, it was the same thing, right? Yeah. So last, right? so about a week and a half ago, uh, the Proud Boys came down to Washington D.C. with this. The same thing, this like idea that Trump did, you know, Donnie J is somehow lost the press. Just really, I mean, like real nonsense. Like Tearing a real- down Black Lives Matter murals, burning them from churches, stabbing motherfuckers. Stabbed four people, and there was initially no response from Mario Bowser. This Black is, Lives Matter is this is a chauvinist, white supremacist group coming into Washington, D.C., not only did they come in here, uh, you know, the MPD, they were protecting them. Yep. All the pictures you see, the MPD are facing the people trying to stop the Proud Boys from tearing down these banners and once again, violating and destroying black churches. MPD is not facing off against the Proud Boys. They're standing in lockstep in line with them. This remember when we went camping, Mo Man, and we were in Little Orleans, and we were you you were like, how many people would it really take to come down? I mean, the Proud Boys are all over, right? They're they're, they're national. All the fuck over, um, and they're again, they're just one faction right. out of dozens of white nationalists. How many white people with guns would it take to come down here and really wreck shop in D.C.? I saw that. I don't know if this was like a a, a fear tactic or whatever it was, but one of the pictures uh, that I I saw during the the, the Proud Boy rally was of uh, a proud boy with a jacket on that said dc uh dc chapter real shit man i was on the way to fucking uh groceries just last week saw a bald-headed white guy kind of nerd looking motherfucker and he dropped something out of his pocket and we looked and uh yeah it was a folding fucking knife and it's a dead ass prop no mask on of course like proud boys are so easy to fucking identify and it's like Bruh, you can't even have that shit in D.C. And he just walking around with the shit. But again, not only did they have, um, you know, uh, blades, they also had guns. Um, and yeah, several people who were at the protest saw them. And they were walking through the neighborhoods. Again, we mentioned four people got stabbed. The Black Lives Matter sign was burnt right in front of the police. And that, and I guess that can bring me right here because this, this is how in tune and in lock and step the proud boys are with the police so the leader of the proud boys enrique tario said he participated y'all know this motherfucker right y'all yeah. know this motherfucker right so he said he participated in the the burning of the black lives matter banner and he was basically saying yeah if they charge me i'll fly there on my own dime you know i have nothing to hide if they want to say i did it they can just go ahead and you know uh they can go ahead and um, what you call it arrest me and he's basically just doubling down and like showing like, nah, they're not going to do anything because it's me. And so that that's one thing. And the second thing is he's already talking about um, buying a house in Washington, D.C. so he can be in between Miami and Washington, D.C., um, you know, because I guess these these proud boys, they just want to come down every weekend because the MPD is right there with them. Muriel Bowser, who I think spoke out against it, but is still not going to, you know, hasn't really made any real change. There's no defund the police movement. All of those things are there. So people are trying to keep the proud boys out of this city and un are unable to do so. And it just goes to show, like, I remember one of the interviews they were talking to this this guy uh tario and they were like oh well do y'all talk to the police and he's like yeah we talk to the police pretty much um you know during every protest and every situation police so. were slave catchers so it's like absolutely no surprise that they're there protecting the proud boys but i am just like how many times do black people and people of color have to be terrorized and the fact that a democratic black woman mayor is like 
well, we just, you know, free speech. We want to make sure that they democratic can assemble here. freely. And it's like, freely? They're terrorizing black churches that you said matter. You said black lives matter. You put up or you shut up. Yeah, meanwhile, you know, I'm saying all of the hoods I grew up in, black boys were profiled their whole fucking lives. Oh, he's wearing red. He's in a gang. But the Proud Boys ain't a fucking gang. They don't get profiled. I mean, they don't get arrested. Like, how many... Because remember when the protests were out there and then Trump decided he needed to absolutely go to church all of a sudden and the police rounded up all of the protesters that were in Lafayette and, and Trump was like, well, that you know what? They they threatened my life and that's why we had to do that. And, and here's literal, literal people threatening the lives of black people and the MPD are I facing... Mean, attempted murder. I mean, I feel like when you stab somebody... When you stab somebody kind in of attempted the murder. district... Yeah, especially since you can't have you like D.C. has some of the most stringent laws against weapons. You can't have projectile weapons. You can't have knives. You can't have guns. They're they're like, if you have it, even mace, they're like, you have to register your mace can with us if you want to carry it around D.C. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, it's assault with a deadly weapon, which is a felony. And, uh, you know, if they die, it has to be at least second degree murder off top. So we're, we're dealing with all of this and it's not a one time thing because this was the third um, I guess they're calling it Million Maga March. You know what it is. I'm even trying to get yep, that stuff. And they're pub. saying they're going to come back in January. So yet another Trump uh, March promise for January 6th in Washington, D.C., I, again, it's I, I think Donnie J was like, it'll be the biggest ever. It'll be the 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 you know, the largest thing ever. And it's these these people, these proud boys and not just them. But I think, other, you know, other uh, like Trump. What do you call them? Loyalists? What do, what, what do you call the Trump? What? Cultists. Cultists. <laughs> they, they, they come down and, you know, they really are ready to hurt people. They're working in line with the MPD. Now, this is going to be the fourth time in three months that they're down here. Again, no. No uh, uh, condemnation, no anything from Muriel Bowser. And, and I'm just wondering, like... Or the president-elect. Let's talk about that, too. Or the vice president-elect. Yeah. <laughs> All these white people were out here dancing for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris when literally the prison story we just went over, I mean, they're one of the biggest... They're culprits. the architects. They're the architects if of that. If the Matrix, they're the fucking architects. So they're not saying anything about uh, the Proud Boys coming down here. And and this is supposed to be like not even the biggest one. The biggest one is going to be inauguration. And then what's going to happen? What is the safety for the D.C. residents? You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like that's never a conversation, especially when we talk about this, uh, you know, on a, on a national scale. And there we are, man. But, uh, you know, what's important in all this shit is finding ways to like see to your fucking... Your mental well-being and also your physical health. And so let's uh let's talk about it, man. Let's Worry about, about yourself. What do you want me to do? Worry about yourself. <laughs> Worry about yourself. <laughs> I'll do this one too. I'm gonna do that. You drive! <laughs> Worry about yourself! Go drive! Alright, so this is a, a, a segment we had, I, I feel like, a couple uh, seasons ago. I, I don't remember the last time. We had this, but this is called Worry About Yourself, uh, a place to celebrate the micro and the individual as we move through this dystopian present. We think it's important to reflect and celebrate our creative outlets, coping mechanisms, and personal joys with each other. Worry about yourself. Um, Worry about yourself. I, I feel like this this pandemic right here, it's really difficult to be like, the same optimistic, like fire Leo energy that I I normally am, and I I feel like sometimes I have to like my I, I'm on this journey to find my peace, right? Like I always like to be peaceful within myself, inner peace. Like I love to self reflect in that way. So I was thinking about like all the 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 crazy stories that we go through on this podcast, and folks have to live, and it's very difficult to live you know, as a leftist in, in, in America and, and really all around the world. Um, and like, what are the things that make me happy or have been making me happy uh, during this pandemic? And, and I, I was thinking about um, the book that I'm writing. I'm writing a book. <laughs> so exciting. Yeah. So we're going to, I'm just going to talk about myself because uh, this is worry about yourself. Worry about so yourself. I'm writing this sci-fi book. I'm writing a couple things, but this is, this sci-fi book is like something that is really fun because it gives me a reason to practice envisioning a better world. So 
The thing about this book is it takes place in a utopian society in in the future. Um, And actually, I was working with uh, my very good friend, Pages, who is a screenwriter, and we worked on a like a log line kind of situation. So I want to, if I may, read the log line for my up and coming book, if I may. Yes. I want to hear it. All right. I've been so excited. I mean, he's been talking about this book for a hot minute and it's like, oh, we're getting the sneak preview. That is very true. That is very true. Okay, I'm I'm looking for it, and I'm going to find it, I promise. A few uh, moments later. Y'all want to sing a little ditty while I'm looking for this thing? Can can we trust Emoja to sing a ditty, considering how he tried to kick off the podcast? No, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, that's gross. I, I love it, I love it. So um, while I'm looking for this, I just want to say like a little more about it. Like, um, I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of like people who are great writers. And I think one of the things that really sucks is you really want to meet that level of your friends. And that's really nice in theory, you know, because you have friends that like win national book awards and like do amazing things. And like you realize that that is the standard. Um, So once I get out of my feelings and I start writing, I start doing my own thing. um, It starts to feel really good. So this is a short description of my book, uh, tentatively titled Strange Webs of Light. 150 years into the utopian future, an elite group of highly trained space explorers are tasked with a suicide mission to uncover the mystery behind the previous cohort's disappearance and another's murder. Their dangerous expedition leads to the discovery of nefarious plans from a secret high-profile player to obtain an unknown treasure that could plunge humanity back into a time of ultimate chaos and oppressive rule. Can our main hero travel to the truth before it's too late, or will everything fall to the insatiable greed and immutable destiny of destruction deeply embedded in the core of human DNA. So that is the description of my book. And something that I really like uh, thinking about in terms of like when I'm writing my book is also I kind of want to turn it maybe, you know, it could be a movie. It could be a video game. It could be an anime. So also another thing that I've been doing to keep my sanity is I've really been going back into soul music, you know, Bobby Bland, Etta James, you know, uh, Otis Redding, like that's what I've been getting into. And when I'm like writing this book, the soundtrack to me writing this book is like soul music, you know, and I'm just feeling about this world like rocket ships and all these beautiful songs playing. And I feel like that creative process along with music, something that I love so much, um, has really allowed me to keep that little bubble of peace around myself. You know, it's like our nin, right? Like we always talk about the nin. Like it's this little extra layer or cover of my peace. Um, and I feel like that that has been keeping my peace. And I wanted to know um, what what y'all were doing to, to keep that peace or, or, or how y'all coping with the pandemic. For me, man, I feel like the thing I've done the most is uh, I feel like I've baked more this year than I normally do. Now, I don't mean like roasting because, of course, you know, I'm, I'm really good with barbecue. I'm really good with. But that's food, right? That's dinner. That's the shit you got to eat. But baking, baking is almost always a treat. It's like, like a luxury kind of. You don't have to have a fucking cake. You know, you don't have to have fucking cookies. You, you won't. That. Yes, I do have to have. Okay. <laughs> it's a pandemic, motherfucker. Okay, I need my carbs and my sugar. Wait yeah, your turn, Keita. It's just really been it's really been uh, bringing me a lot of joy. Cooking things that I don't normally cook, baking things, um, and uh, you know that's always been uh, like a a thing that if you know me really well, you know it's not something that most people that 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 think they know me would guess is that I'm a baker a lot. Cuban used to tease me like, oh, I should have known the Keebler motherfucking elf. You know what I'm saying? His little cookie making ass, you know, but um, no, that that's something, you know, I've always been really good at making cookies, but I've been stretching myself, you know, making pies, making cakes, uh, and really just having a good time with this shit, man. Has, uh, has the arrival of the amazing anime Shokugeki, uh, 
uh, at all influence this desire. Absolutely, man. Shokugeki, you watching that shit, you can't help but want to go out there and really press the button and go as far as you can and make just the most, you know, I remember for Thanksgiving, I had a Shokugeki on sweet potato pies, you know. I I remember. I I love being the judge for a Shokugeki. It really is. It's a tough job, but someone's got to do it. Take the credit. They'll never know. He does it so well. Oh, thank you. Oh, I should have made some falafel. I'm going to give you all a little bit of falafel. I'm going to give you all some falafel, yeah. Oh, look. All right, so what about... Podcast audience, though, let's pause. Because Amin's falafel, next level. It's so good. Oh, my God. Everybody here is really... Yeah, please understand. If we decided to do, like, a food truck or a restaurant, none of you motherfuckers are really ready, man. Because I know most of y'all that know us know us as, like, intellectuals. You know us as artists, poets, and whatnot. But understand, we got this food shit down, bro. That is really true. This is fire energy all the way, all the way. It's Leo and Aries energy. Um, uh, but, but Keto, what, what are some of the things that, that you've been doing just to kind of cope or any, any creative thing that you've been using uh, to stay at baseline in this pandemic? Sure. I, so a lot of reading, definitely, uh, which I know kind of sounds odd because a lot of people said, oh, you can't engage with new media when you're absolutely exhausted. And I've been like, Okay, but if I don't engage my brain in something, I might fall into a depressive spiral. So. I, I feel the same way, you know, because people say they always have like, I don't know, like their depression shows that they rewatch. Like, oh, I'm, I'm watching ER for the fourth time or I'm on the sixth watch of The Office. Yeah. And I don't get that. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I'm not one of those people who can do that because it all, otherwise it kind of gets... It, it melts me into the sameness and also kind of the the like void of existence for me. And so I have to avoid that at all costs. That sounds like some bullshit to me. Look, I'm always down for a fucking uh, rewatch of The Wire. I've probably seen that shit eight times. We can start over right fucking now. I, we're uh, Hey, shocker. We're two different people. What about yourself? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> for me personally, I have to make sure that my brain stays engaged. Uh, and it has been really difficult to do any creative activities because I'm like... Writing is impossible for me right now. Knitting is impossible You're for me right now. Your knitting has been impossible. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh. felt like really, everything's felt exhausting. But reading hasn't felt as impossible as I thought it might. So I've been reading a lot of really varied and amazing books. And it's engaged my brain enough to be like, man, look at what the world is capable of. Look at what we're capable of in terms of creativity, in terms of imagination. And for that same reason, I've actually been playing D&D games. <laughs> so big nerd out um and that's been pheno- phenomenal yeah because it's an immersive experience it's it's uh especially with this one group that i play with which is all black queer people um which is honestly so phenomenal um and they're a great group to play with because they're amazing role players it's a really immersive experience and they believe in collaborative storytelling so yeah our dungeon master has built this world um homebrewed this entire campaign but she's invited us to be like but you're contributing to it so like let me know what you want out of it and we've built it together in such a way that it's it's like this natural unveiling every week when we play and i'm like oh my god this is so cool it's so dope <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so i uh, thank y'all first of all thank y'all for being vulnerable with the things that y'all are trying to do to, to sort of get over this uh collective depressive state i think we've all been in and something i was uh posting on exit the matrix podcast <clears throat> uh follow us on instagram uh is there's this meme of uh what's his name uh, the curb your enthusiasm guy it, he's a problematic white man uh but basically <laughs> it the, the the meme is um fuck you and i'll see you tomorrow and it was basically like how leftists are after they get into an argument <laughs> and i think you know like being I mean, we're all kind of our own little brand of leftists all three of us have you know I, we're so close on a lot of things but we really do push each other on a lot of stuff and i was thinking about not only are we dealing with the nonsense that is the conservative republican conversations you deal with pure nonsense and then you deal with half truths and this neoliberal kind of well we can try with the the liberals and the democrats that that you know you you engage with online or in your personal and then of course the leftists are always uh having some sort of conversation within the community and it really feels like you never have a moment or a break and i i I feel like 
I don't know if y'all, I assume most people who are listening to us is some, their own brand of leftist, whatever it may be. And I, I just want to uh, shout out and show love Proud to those Boys people. Boys doing any research. <laughs> we started well, the game we you know. never got to finish. <laughs> Why you got to remind me of those things? Right, right, right. I'm sure. No, no, no. I'm, I'm uplifting. Right. Okay, supporting each other. No, but that's what you do. You bring me down to the sad reality. <laughs> I just got to remind you motherfuckers, man. No, 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 but 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 of course. I mean, that's why we talked about the Proud Boys today and, and all those other things. So many things out there. White people want to kill you. The judicial system is uh, completely uh, white supremacist, racist, and uh, it, it's a tough life out there. But I hope y'all are keeping y'all joys. Please send us the things that are helping you get through the pandemic at Exit the Matrix Podcast at Gmail dot com. People out there reading books. You said reading books in the pandemic. I mean, I dropped the book, man. It's fucking great. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fables. Foibles and other American sins. Uh, go out and get that. Where can they find that exactly? I mean, everywhere, man. Google the shit and you'll get it from Aquarius Press, you know, Willow Books, first and foremost. If you have any type of difficulty, you can go ahead and feed the fucking monster by getting it from Amazon. A small business on Amazon. But it's always better to get it from the press directly. And I guess I'll be remiss to say, too, uh, my album is still out there. Yes. Troublesome uh, on all streaming platforms uh, and, and just in general. Stream your friends' music. Uh, it, it really helps, you know. Every every month, I'm getting thousands of streams, and you know, it's only three or four dollars. Extreme poverty. But uh, it's building up, you know. I'm building up to maybe like a hundred dollars in my account from basically almost tens of thousands. Shit, you're doing better than Congress wants you to. And that's a fact. And we didn't even talk Let about the STEMI. Let them eat cake ass, bitch We ass. didn't even get to talk about the STEMI. We'll talk about another one. Our pan- penultimate episode. A- any more thoughts from you beautiful humans? No? Okay. Uh, uh, stay well, stay woke, stay hydrated. Exit the Matrix podcast. And we out. She keeps putting up the murals, so that's how you know she really cares.